have I got a story for you. There just doesn't seem to be a right way to deal with an unprecedented pandemic. The uncertainty makes decision-making nearly impossible. Kids need classrooms. Society needs schools. Education is important. But is it more important than health? But first, I don't know why we have so many butts on the podcast. Ah, dad joke. Hear me with your dad jokes. Fire away. A word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merch you had no idea existed because AndrePsyche.com does not have the sway that Amazon does. What will you see? What will you find? What will you discover? Dear listener, when you go to AndrePsyche.com, literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, podcasts, or any custom gift that you will not see but have a vision of in your mind. Because Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to AndrePsyche.com and see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Do us a favor. Support the podcast. Push the subscribe button right now. I'm just wondering if that pause was beneficial and dramatic enough to make you actually do it. Take a moment. It takes just a second or two. Push the subscribe button again on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you're listening to the pod on. And if you're feeling exceptionally helpful, rate and review the Getting to Know You pod. How else? Looking to support us in other ways? Why, thank you for thinking that. You can go to patreon.com, search Getting to Know You Pod, it's all one word, and become a subscriber. You can also friend and follow the pod. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Getting, the number two, no, the letter U pod. Again, all one word. And finally, we are looking for additional sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a brand or business and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with the Getting to Know You Pod. We're downloaded all over the country. So if you're looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to know Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it On today's show We are getting to know Stephanie And Stephanie is president of DSEA And that's Delaware State Education Association. Did I get it? I don't know what the S stands yes, that's for. Correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I got. I looked down and I had the acronym, and I'm like, I really hope it's state. I wasn't secure. That's so sad. That is so sad. Um, thank you for getting up and um, allowing people not so much to get to know you, but a little more about, um, I guess, the union's stance on opening schools. I really appreciate your time. 
Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm happy to talk to you about, um, you know, whatever you want to know. And like I said, I might not be able to answer all your questions, but I'm here for you. So what do you want to know specifically about? I want um, the answer. I, I, I want, oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> What's the right choice, right? No. Right. I'm actually kind well, of curious. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, if you have a right choice, that would be cool. But well, I mean, I don't have the right answer, but I know we <laughs> deliberated for a while about what we wanted to do to make sure that we kept our students and, and staff that work with students safe. Um, at the time, you know, we were earlier in the summer and, you know, hindsight, looking back, we still don't know all we don't know about COVID and, and its effects on children. We wanted just a little bit of leeway, a little bit of time, you know, for the scientists to keep doing their work, for our districts to have their plans and to see how their plans are working out. Um, before we really thought about, okay, yeah, so great, let's go back, you know, in normal fashion and, and, and hit the ground running. We just wanted six weeks of, of time to, to stop and kind of process what's happening, where we're going, and what that looks like if, if you start to add more bodies um, into the building, what that would potentially look like. So that's where um, we decided, you know, six weeks or more to just let everybody um have some time to do what they needed to do and also to have the educators um, to be given time to kind of dive into those district plans and to dive into what remote learning, quality remote instruction looks like. So that's why we asked uh, for a little bit of additional time at the beginning of the year. Yeah, man, that's, um, it's almost, I, I, it has so many facets to it, but you do have the health facet, but then you also have the how can you learn? What's the best way to learn? Like how we're talking on a Zoom screen. <laughs> and what yeah. is engagement? Yeah. How do you do science lessons? What is art class? You have all this infrastructure and funds going to classes that really enhance kids. It, it makes, mm -hmm. it gives them a world view. You know, it really enhances their perspectives and exposes them to things that without a school, they most likely would not be exposed to. You know? You're right. In some cases, they wouldn't be exposed to that. And it's it's a tricky situation because, like you said, you know, if I teach science, what does science look like on the screen or remote learning, um, you know, and kind of like filling in things behind the screen? Um, our district uses Schoology, so putting things yeah. up for them to kind of to kind of self, you know, pace themselves as they go through your your lessons. It is hard. It is. I don't, and I don't expect anyone to think that. Um, there's only one right answer to this problem. So if your district believes that, you know, they can do some type of opening safely, we're behind that. It's just as long as everyone stays safe. Students are safe. Staff is safe. You know, if they can do that, that's great. Yeah. And it safe is such a, it's almost like you want systematic change with what we're seeing going on with Black Lives Matters, right? It, right. But then when you start trying to boil down or drill down into what is the change? In this case, it's, I keep saying like, well, what is the safe? Because are we just somewhat, is it like a hubris on our part as humans that we feel we can create a safe environment for a disease that we think spread, we're pretty sure spreads through the air and mouth droplets. But there was a while there were like, you can't touch anything, shut down all the playgrounds. Oh and yeah, I know, like wash all your groceries or whatever. I know, yeah. yeah, you get takeout and you're like spraying it with Lysol. You're like, the COVID can creep in. You're like, I guess it really doesn't. You know, like the earth was flat, what, 500 years ago? And then all of a sudden- I, Yeah, like, I understand completely what you're saying. I mean, do we have what we need? And what, you know, what does safe look like is, is a great question. And then how do you provide that safety, you know? So I get 
the mask aspect. I really do understand. And it, to me, it's a very common sense thing. I also have spoken to people who are very anti-mask and they go into mm-hmm. this whole, like, it hurts your breathing and it's actually more harmful, CO2, whatever. I, I think most people would agree. It makes sense when you sneeze and cough, you cover your mouth because you don't want that stuff to spread. And if you can be asymptomatic and your spit can spread, it makes sense to kind of cover that up. I've seen a bunch of videos, but aside from the mask part, the thing I think that's killing schools is that six feet requirement, the then three feet with masks on. And I'm kind of curious as to, uh, were there any thoughts or I guess, what were the thoughts on how to deal with that? It was like, Hey man, just utilize your space the most you can, or. I I mean, that's kind of where we are because there's, there's not much getting around that. You know what I mean? So if, if I'm teaching science and working at tables, you know, they want them to be as far apart as possible, but what that looks like in your science classroom, where you are confined in the classroom with the walls, you know, that's hard for folks to figure out. Um, my teach, my TAM teacher from last, not last, well, the last time I was in the classroom, my TAM teacher, she showed our classroom spaced out and we could only fit 15 desks in that classroom. That seems um, to be the number, know, with, man. With, yeah, it's with the, we had a pretty big classroom, but um, following the guidelines. But normally, you know, if you, we would go back to school, our class roster starts at like 25. Right. So you're kind of, you you know, you know what I'm saying? You're kind of capped as to what do you do? It, it's very hard um, to think about those guidelines in this in this scheme of a classroom. Yeah, and, and I don't really know how to, how to get around that. You know, you can't really work around those guidelines. You have to keep. Because, you know, when you think about how far a sneeze or a cough can carry, you know, without a mask. So you want them to be, you know, three feet apart wearing that mask. It's, it's very hard in the classroom because you don't have that, that physical space to give. So I, at the beginning, when we were just throwing ideas on the wall, I was thinking about, like, like, where could we, what could we do to kind of space students out if they needed to be in the school? We thought about, you know, like the gym and everyone's school is, is a pretty large place, but what does that look like? How do you access that space or even the cafeteria since you're not really eating in the cafeteria this is early in the beginning of the guidelines what might that look like if you could space students out in the cafeteria so just kind of thinking outside the box which is what they you know they always ask teachers to think outside the box how could you do this differently um that mandate poses a big problem for a lot of folks yeah and i i just knew from a basic like algorithm formula standpoint you can't have all the kids back in school at once if you're going to require them to be that far apart. Like it's literally, it's, it's numerically impossible to have both. So in my head, I'm like, God, our school's going to have to buy a bunch of like little mobile cubes, like storage units and you have them come in kind of a thing. Or do you Mm -hmm. like start running banquet halls (laughs) around places? And then my mind was going to all the additional costs that schools are now having to have or encumber. And Mm -hmm. it, it, it overwhelmed me and I could not imagine people in your position having to try to figure out what, what do we do? What is the solution? And it's like, man, it, it, it is what it is. We'll get out of tape measure. We'll get a number and then we'll, that, that's what the number is going to be. Yeah. And when I thought about, you know, in the hall when they're saying one way hallways and keeping the students apart in the hall, that's, that's a huge logistical problem right there, man. Yeah. I, and you're in middle school, so you know those bodies are bigger yeah. than you know little fourth graders, and they and, take up space. And typically more ruly. And it's it's funny because the hallways we always talk about this, and because I'll see it, we have sixth grade wing, seventh grade wing, eighth grade wing, 
And in mm-hmm. sixth grade wing, there's always so much space. You can walk right down the middle. You can stay to the right, stay to the left. But the width of the hallway is the same. <clears throat> the size of the locker is the same for sixth, right. seventh, and eighth grade. And when you get to eighth grade, you're like double your size. Right. <laughs> and, and the classrooms are the same size. But whatever formula was made or is in that <clears throat> is for the state when they construct schools, clearly they didn't put like a growth percentage on square footage as the grades, as the children get older, which is right. kind of interesting if you think about it. Like the same chairs too. Some, yeah. of, some of the eighth graders are like, dude, these chairs are so small. And so right. Like, Can I get a grown up chair? <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, man, my biggest fear is not getting sick so much, but like someone, some kid taking a picture, somehow doing something silly, pushing the envelope, whether mm-hmm. it's them walking around without a mask, them touching each other, them pretending to cough some video, TikTok, whatever is going to come out. And then it's like, heads will roll. <laughs> yeah. I think about, you know, fourth grade, I had was it two, the last year I was in the classroom, we had a student, um, their mom called me and she said, I want my sneakers back. I, Ma'am, I don't know what you're saying. So somehow between me putting them on the bus and them getting home, they these two kids swapped sneakers. So I can only imagine how they're going to be swapping masks. Oh, Captain America, no, you know, no. you've got a Spider-Man, I want yours, or, you know, and, and not wearing a mask. You're right. All kinds of things that they think it's funny. Like you said, those yeah. pranks, I'm <clears> coughing <throat> on you, I'm, and, you know, I'm not, and you can't make me wear this mask. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, those types of things, I'm very concerned about what that might look like. Yeah, because I, again, I just go to the PR aspect and it's probably wrong on my part. And I don't know if I'm conditioned to be pessimistic in that way, but you worry about the email or the phone call or Mm -hmm. the, this was unsafe. And then Lord help you, like Lord forbid, if someone were to actually get sick because kids were kind of being what kids are, which is goofy Mm -hmm. for the most part. And then what does that look like for liability? I mean, that, that to me was almost, and what I was wondering is, or what I am wondering, is that part of the six week time frame where you were like, can we figure out if we put adults in a room or adults in a building, does that have spread COVID? And then maybe we can start to understand and wrap our head around the logistics of how do you move? How will lunch work? Because if you're going to open up and even if you went half the kids for us, it would be like 300 kids in a building. What is lunchtime going to be like? We're just going to find out with all 300 kids that first day and figure it out when they come. Right. That, right. But then, I mean, that's daunting. Like you have that a plan. Is, it's crazy. Like, you know, trial by fire or whatever. Just jump in there and, and figure it out as you go. Is is It's it's a lot to think about. It really is. When And, and you don't want to make those mistakes, like you said, John, because you, you don't want to be the person who let, a, you know, something happen on your watch. Right. Um, you know, like you said, be it. We're, we're swapping masks or we're taking our masks off or, you know, we're coughing on folks. You don't want to be the educator where even though you've had that conversation with them, look, guys, this is serious. You know, you can talk yeah. about serious all you want. You know, they're only going to listen as far as they listen to, to what you have to say. Yeah. And then my, at least in middle school, I know the bathrooms are a hot button topic where every class, every kid always has to go to the bathroom. It's like they have the bladder of a chihuahua or right. they've never – they haven't been able to use the bathroom in any other class, even though they basically ask in like every class. <laughs> every class. And it's like, dude, are you going to have to have like a, a turnstile in, in the bathroom, man? Like, how are you going to try to control? I think we've got always of like 10 classrooms that basically share 
a boys room and a girls room. Just one bathroom. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's two stalls in each. Right. But I'm mm-hmm. like the logistics again, you put a hundred kids, 150 kids. How do you, can you tell someone our bathroom time for my class is between eight to eight 30. Oh, goodness, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the, how do you work that out and enforce that? Do you have to then hire someone to be a bathroom monitor <laughs> in each hall, you know, cause oh that's where stuff goes down. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I but can't. even the hand washing, you know how they need to wash their hands, oh, yeah. you know, after certain activities or, or changing activities. And so how does, what does that look like? You know, so do I take my whole class to wash their hands at the same time? And we're just like in the hallway waiting one at a time, or right. do you let like three kids go? It's going to be very, very, it's a lot to think about. And I know, you know, districts have been working to create those plans. I haven't seen any district plans, but I mean, those are the types of things, those little details you have to think about. What does that look like? Like you said, do we sign up for bathroom time? Do we have a bathroom monitor? Those are great questions, and I don't have the answer to that because it could look different in every district. Yeah, I think the logistics do. But it, it's, it, it's to me, it's a little bit of a shame. And I'm actually curious about this because I don't think teachers, when they became teachers, thought about, I got to figure this out. Not at the beginning of the year. They want to figure out how am I going to engage kids at the beginning of the year? What's going to be a fun, cool lesson? How am I going to yep. build rapport? How am I going to yep. identify those that need additional support? How am I going to make sure my seating arrangement enhances learning and it's not distracting? Mm-hmm. All these little things that go into with a focus of learning, you only have so much energy. And now it seems like I'm one of my concerns would be like the focus is going to be more on safety and health, which isn't bad. I mean, we're in a pandemic. But I wonder about the effects on learning because how teachers... much of that, how much of what you usually put in to your lesson is, is possibly going to be lost. Like you said, you know, as you're planning your lesson, you also have to kind of plan in to make sure, okay, so we're going to do cooperative learning. Um, what does that look like though, when the kids can't be cooperative because they're on the screen, you know, how do I get them to share and interact? How do I make sure everyone has a turn? Right. Um, you know, feedback. how do I make sure that everyone understands what we're even talking about? A lot of what we normally do in the physical classroom, um, you know, without even thinking, because yeah. you're just, like you said, conditioned to make sure those things are occurring in your classroom. But when you write out a lesson for remote learning, you have to actually spell it out. What does it look like? How am I going to incorporate, like you said, you know, the fun of, of being in school virtually through the, through the screen? It's, it's tough. It's, it's a hard lift for educators to kind of switch on, you know, everything that you've been taught and everything that you've worked to do um, and just completely flip it on its head and, and do it in a different way. And I think, again, that was why we were asking for the six weeks just for folks to get this under their belt and to make it the best possible learning experience um, for the students while we were in remote learning. Yeah. Did you, when you ran, and I, on, I there's so much I don't know. I don't exactly know how you even become president of the union. I'm assuming you say, I want to, and then people vote. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're elected. Right. So mm-hmm. did you have any idea when you ran for president of the union that like this was going to be your, I'm sure you didn't know it was going to be 2020, but like this would even come up as an issue? Did you have any kind of experience to think no, in this health-wise? not at all. No, I mean, I was, I was president in my local, and when you're president of your local, you're dealing with local issues, local contract issues concerns that educators have, you know, every day in the classroom. So it's kind of like that, but on the state level. So I was thinking, okay, so we're going to be doing issues that, that our members are, that, that they care about things that our members want to do. I'm kind of moving, <clears throat> excuse me, social justice forward. 
um, educational justice, what it looks like to, um, you know, positively affect what's happening in the classrooms for our students across the state. And never in my wildest dreams that I think about, well, um, we're going to have to think about how to keep kids safe during a pandemic. Yeah. How, um, it's funny, state level issues, you, you think about smaller contractual issues. And I know, actually, I don't know how many pages our contract is. I know it's a lot. I've read it here and there, but I can't, it's not like you remember it. Do you know, it's mm -hmm. like reading directions for something. It's not come. It's, it's not like a story that follows just a nice little neat thing, but each district has their own contract. So now you're trying to have all these variables, but find common ground to talk about at the state level. What were some of the overarching state level issues that you could talk about? Just um, common, like common things that schools needed or needed support with, or during this change. time or before this. I'm actually like before because you had said like social justice. I was curious about right. like what that would look like because that was it's become forefront again. Right. I mean, MBA right. just can't. So our our big things really we talk about um, the need for more mental health and uh, mental health workers in our school. We've been talking about the need for social justice and thinking about you know moving your classroom towards equity, uh, just talking about, we also deal a little bit with the economy in Delaware, um, what that looks like and how that affects our educators. So if we go back to just the first two, um, we were working to try to get um, House Bill 100 passed, which would put um, school psychologists and school social workers, um, and I'm missing the third category. I'll loop it back around. I picked that up. I can't remember the line. They're going to kill me. Um, <laughs> just having more mental health workers in the buildings for our students because um, just the levels of trauma and the, 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 uh, the amount of undealt with trauma that our students come to school with on an everyday basis is, is overwhelming. And educators don't have the tool bag to help those students cope with what's going on at home sometimes. Um, and just to have another person in the school building that can talk to them and, and listen to them and provide them with resources is something that we're looking, you know, to make sure happens. Um, we're also talking about, when we talk a little bit about social justice, that also looks like providing folks with what they need. And so we're trying to get wellness centers in elementary schools, um, especially in high needs areas for those students who just don't have what they need um, for whatever reason, you know, to make it to the doctor every year for a physical or to have their eyes checked or, mm. you know, to have a <clears> dental <throat> appointment, those things that are basic needs, you have to have your basic needs met before you can learn. And so that's a lot of where we've been putting our focus, making sure our students have what they need to feel loved and safe and protected so they can take those risks and, and ex, you know, expand in the classroom and, and to grow and to blossom. Um, in the classroom. So we're working on mental health, social justice. We're thinking just a little, we've um, incorporated some new task forces. So we're thinking about uh, women's issues, what it's like to be a, a woman in the classroom. Hmm. Um, I mean, even though we're the majority of educators, we're still the minority, you know, and as America thinks about men and women. So we're thinking about what is it, what is it like to be a woman in the classroom and how can we help you with that? And then we're also talking a little bit about um, what's it look like for LGBTQ students and staff as we talk about social justice and, and helping them kind of navigate what it's like um, in the classroom from both sides as a staff member and as a student. So we set up those two task forces to kind of 
take a, a broader look at what we could do to kind of help um, as far as social justice goes in the, in the, in, the, in our schools. The mental, when you were talking about the mental health and putting um, <clears throat> more counselors in schools, yes. again, just it, if you just do the numbers, we've got 750 middle school kids if we're at full capacity around there. We mm-hmm. have one guidance counselor who, though you think counselor, like a lot of it is logistical, clerical work of schedules and organizing, right? Enrolling mm-hmm. kids, yes. making sure they know their classrooms. And then when there's a crisis or an intervention, you may have one additional, we had one additional counselor that came in, she had office hours. Mm-hmm. But if you start doing the math, if you have 700 kids and one person that's just there to like meet with kids, maybe you get to see them how, how many, once a month? Right. <laughs> and, and it's not enough. It's odd to me though, because I don't see that as a teacher's union issue. Even but we represent we represent right? those members. You know, we really? have school psychologists and we have school counselors and school social workers as our members. And they came uh, to us and said, "We are stretched thin. We yeah. we need help." So yeah, we you know that I is would, something that we think about. Yeah, I would see. I didn't know that. I would have just thought that the state itself would look at schools. Hey, we have an opportunity to meet people where they are. These young children. Mm-hmm. You would think the state would almost be in charge of. We're going to add a little wing to the schools. That has nothing really to do with like the school, your local budget. It's just the state thing. We're going to make sure we have some mental health counseling available. Um, it's it's interesting to me that it actually fell under the teachers union. That's uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have that would be that. awesome if we had a little wing in every school. Yeah, you know right? that would be great. Man, I that yeah, it's it's sad a little bit because we were um, getting pretty heavy into our um, LGBTQ training. As far as mm-hmm. trying to understand and the the stressors that come along with children who are going through that, right. and how to try to be sensitive and how not to trigger certain emotions within them, and mm-hmm. COVID comes and that kind of stuff goes to the back burner. But the kids are still they're the still there with, with those it. same needs. Yeah, yeah. And, and you just you lose out on um, them being the focus. And it seemed like we were making some good progress with diversity and people understanding. Um, folks from different backgrounds and right. COVID comes right. around and now it's all hand-washing, sanitizing, six feet hybrid. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a shame. Okay. That, that helped. That's, that does seem very general, like state level that mm-hmm. all districts would be into equality yeah. and mental health. Those that's making sense. Can I, I'm curious why six weeks, how'd you um, guys come up with that number of six weeks for remote? I think we just thought about, you know, kind of getting to the, it's like the middle of the first marking period, almost the end of the first marking period, kind of depending on what system your school uses. Um, So it wasn't a hard and fast number. We're thinking about, you know, just getting through the the first month or two, month, month and a half, stop and then see, okay, so what do we know now about COVID that we didn't know in March? Or even what do we know now in October that we didn't know in August? Right. you know, how are educators faring as far as their lessons on the computer? What does it look like and how much have they grown in what, you know, what new things are they doing now? Um, just stopping and taking stock of where we are, what we learned, what we know, what we can do better, what we're really doing well with um, and where we have some room to grow. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if there was like an actual um, science or almost, and, and it's so bad. 
but you just don't want to be first. You want to have other people be first so you can see yeah. what's going on. You get some data points and you're like, oh, wow, that worked for that school. This didn't work for that school when kids came in. Right. How much did you, um, was discussed like an appropriate in school model as far as, hey, we're going to do one grade a week. We're going to, so we'll put sixth grade in for a week. And if everything's great, we'll put seventh grade in for the second week. And now we're slowly building up or it's the co like Cape point with the cohort. You could go Monday, Tuesday, or you could go Thursday, Friday and remote you know, day Wednesday. I'm curious just if there, what interesting ideas for getting back in the building were kicked around. We as a union didn't really jump into logistics that was left to the districts. The state gave the districts the purview to come up with their own plan what we did really was kind of continue conversations with our members and see where our members thought they would um, see as things that worked. So we had like a, like a bank of, of teacher questions. We had loads of educator ideas and we just had them at the ready if the district wanted our input on that, but they didn't really consult the state. They consulted their local um, teachers unions. Mm. So your local union, like you're in Cape. So, yeah. you know, Cape Education Association worked hand in hand with the um, administrators and the district office in Cape to come up with the three different plans that they needed for the state. So the input from the teachers was given, you know, from the teachers they worked with, as well as a teachers union. On the state level, we didn't really jump into districts and, and give them a lot of ideas about what their plan should look like. So each district was given their own um, kind of, you know, leeway and and the, each of them were then um, challenged to come up with their own plans. We didn't really have anything to do on a state level with those plans. Gotcha. And is that just because each district has whatever demographics of students, geographical issues that they deal with? So you couldn't really say this is best practice because it's right. so individualized. We gave like, you know, like national best practice. And then you boil that down to what it looks like in your area. Because, you know, Cape is different than Woodbridge, is different than Colonial, is different than, you know, Smyrna, is different than Milford. And they all have different, like you said, you know, geographical regions, demographics, um, even resources and, right. and staffing is different in each district. So what you're able to do, what your district plan allows you to do is going to be different based on all of those factors. And I, when you bring up staff, I always feel kind of bad that I feel this way, but I'm, what am I? I'm 39. I jog pretty regularly. I work out like I'm not, I'm honestly not scared of catching COVID. I feel if I get it, whatever, I'm out for three days, you know, mm -hmm. I'll quarantine for two weeks, but I'm not going to die. I just like, I look at the numbers and I'm like, I'm not going to die. But then I start looking at a lot of the people I work with and they're older than me. Mm -hmm. Some of them do not work out regularly. Some of them are a bit obese or overweight. They have underlying health conditions. Underlying conditions, that right. That they're able yeah. to, like even what I'm seeing with diabetes, you know, and um, just different, different asthmatic people that you don't realize yeah. have this condition because they're functioning as a teacher. It's not, it's not a physically strenuous job to be a teacher for the most part, right? Mentally taxing for sure. You can be on your feet a lot, but it's not like right. construction work. Right. So you're able to be effective with some underlying conditions. And I'm mm -hmm. curious a vibe of like how, how worried or how scared and what are some options that they have if they're like, I could die. 
And I think right. some people are at that place where they're like, Jesus, I could die. You're absolutely right. And in, in that situation, we asked them to think about um, talking to their district and asking, what are my options? Like you said, you know, under ADA and the exemptions, what are my options? So some districts are allowing teachers who have underlying conditions to just be the remote teachers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so hypothetically, if my district was thinking about doing hybrid, we would have teachers who would just do the remote learning. And then we would have teachers, maybe more like yourself, willing to go back into the building who we would then put back in the building. You know, and then, you know, those two groups would be working together. The education would be working together to make sure whatever you're doing for your middle schoolers makes sense in those two separate situations. So, you know, offering them, if possible, the choice to remain at home. Um, so like you said, you know, they don't um, have that threat of risk. catching COVID, you know. Have you, has anyone approached you or any like local unions, I guess would be the way it would go because it would be a local level issue of I'm scared. My district is telling me I have to come in. Has that been happening at all? There are um, a few educators who reached out to us who are working with their Uniserve directors. And that's kind of like the liaison between DSCA and your local. So each local association has a Uniserve director from DSCA working cooperatively with those with those Uniserve directors to kind of think about in that situation, what do you do? You know, if your district doesn't have the, the option of you staying home, what can you do? So we do have some folks around the state who are kind of thinking, you know, I can't go back into the classroom. Help me figure this out. So we are kind of navigating some folks through that, that are, situation. Do you know, and I'm not sure, but what would be, cause to me, I'm very basic with it. I'm like, if you want to get paid, you got to work. <laughs> right. right. No, I, and I like, don't know. I don't know because like we talked about earlier, every local has its own contract, you know, so I don't know what's in your contract. And then, you know, above that, we have state laws and state regulations right. and, and those people are better at being in the weeds for those things. So yeah. that's something that I don't know the answer to. Gotcha. And part of it too, I was curious and I, I, I see when Governor Carney puts out his updated for the state of emergency. And it seems like the dude, as long as it's a state of emergency, and I've spoken to several people running for a um, governor, and one of them was a constitutional uh, lawyer, Julianne Murray, mm -hmm. um, from, I believe, Georgetown. And she, like, lady knows the constitution. It, it's nuts talking to her. I was like, uh, I was immensely impressed with her knowledge. But basically, this state of emergency kind of makes him dictator-ish as far as you don't have to have legislation. You kind of get, just get to say it. You get all this autonomy as a governor, the way that the state of emergency declaration is written up and was passed. So that's part of why I was curious if there's been any talks with Governor Carney about, can you throw something into your state of emergency to cover the teachers who actually have this so you don't have to rely on your local contract? So you're saying something to cover teachers who have COVID or who have those concerns who about have, catching COVID? Exactly. Who have the concern. Like if some people are really freaked out, I, I would I would think, but I don't know if it's possible, to have something blanket to protect them and whatever their mental health or their, their – I don't even know. Maybe this is why it can't be done because I don't even know how to ask about it. It's almost right. like the – And I think a lot of what you're saying is, is covered under that Americans with Disabilities Act – even though, um, you know, you wouldn't consider asthma to be a disability, it's covered, I believe, you know, somewhere in that in that act where if I have asthma and I cannot return back to work 
you know, due to COVID concerns. And like I said, that's something that those those educators are working with their Uniserve director and even our general counsel, maybe our lawyer at, at DSDA to kind of figure out, well, how do I how do I keep working even if I can't go back into the building? And like I said, Sean, that's something that I am not an expert on. Right. Um, but, you know, we if you wanted, we could get you connected with with the people at DSDA to help you um, get an answer to that question. Yeah, well, um, it's just a curiosity because I wonder how many teachers want that. And then you wonder how many teachers take advantage is the wrong word, but would look to, hey, I can stay at home. <laughs> my kid's remote. It's easier for my daycare option. And then you open this Pandora's box. Of, yeah. And I know, would I would hope that we had educators in the state who would not, you know, use that um, accommodation uh, or misuse, I would say, yeah, right. misuse that accommodation, and that those who are applying are, are applying because they generally have concerns um, for their well-being. Yeah, man, that's that's interesting because I don't. Part of me too is if if are you really do you qualify as being disabled if you were already working with your disability, whether it be asthma, whatever, diabetes, mm-hmm. and the fear of potentially getting something. Is that enough to then like escalate you to a higher risk category? Not that you actually have it. It's just the potential. And it's like, don't you have the potential to get a lot of things? So like those, and that's where my head, I just keep spinning around. It's like, we're trying to um, consider, we're not going to bring people in because of the potential, but what, what's actually happened? Like nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was funny, a lot of the people who were running for governor and it was majority of them were Republicans who I spoke to, they were just like, going to open it. And if you're not comfortable with your kid, you don't have to send your kid. We'll remote educate. But we feel the majority of people just send their kids five days a week, let them play sports, let them do everything. It's their choice. And the more I talk to people, the more I'm like, I kind of feel like more people want that choice instead of the regulation. Right. And I think again, you know, us asking for the, the kind of that six weeks. So after six weeks and, you know, let's say a hundred percent, nothing's happened. Great. You know, let's think about what our options are. Can we start reopening things? Can we do an abbreviated season of field hockey or whatever, you know, after those six weeks and, and we've gotten COVID kind of understanding under our belts, um, you know, cause I would hate, like you said, I would hate to be that district or that school that opens, you know, five days a week, boom, we're back to normal. And then, you know, something, something bad happens. And I, and like you said too, I don't want to always be like, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Because you, you're right. We live in a world where anything can happen at any time. Like, isn't there supposed to be a meteor coming like before election day? You know what I mean? Like those types of things or an asteroid or something. We live under, a, 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 you know, we're constantly in danger just being alive. Um, but I do want to be, you know, I do want to respect those concerns of those folks who are, you know, have a lot of underlying conditions. And, and, and we've gotten a lot of emails. I am afraid for my life, you know. Um, so we're working with them. But I, I don't know. There is no, you know, 100% correct answer. There is no 100% right. correct way. It, it's a hard issue to deal with. And um, I can't imagine. You, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to meet cut in you the no, it's, I mean, how do you meet in the middle? You know, I want I want people to be satisfied on both sides, but how do you meet in the middle? And again, you know, quote unquote, keep people safe. So yeah, I yeah. can't imagine when contracts at the local level were negotiated, there was some clause in there for a highly contagious virus pandemic. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so like you don't yeah. even have a, and that's where I get curious at the union aspect and the contract is like, 
you're almost have to go like, I would think a case by case and just rely on maybe your HR or your principal to mm -hmm. try to work with you because there is no section eight, page 32, right. paragraph four says, because I have an underlying condition and it's a pandemic, I don't have to come to the building. I still work at home. Right. And I mean, you and I know as educators, where we want to be is in the classroom. Yeah, you want to be students. with kids, man. It's fun. You, know, you absolutely <laughs> want to be there. But if my life is in danger because I have asthma and I have diabetes and, you know, or even I'm taking care of elderly parents who I yeah. might unbeknownst to myself, bring it home to them. You know, you don't know. And, and there's a lot of situations that you, you, you want to be respectful of. Um, I want people to be able to work. I want us to be able to get back into the building you know, and to get back to some semblance of normal, you know, I really do. And that's what everybody wants. Right. And again, I guess just to be clear. So then if anyone at a local level who listens and is wondering, how do I go about expressing this way, like through the proper channels, they want to contact their Uniserve director or they would go to their building rep? They, no, yeah, they could talk to their building rep about it, but eventually they're going to have to talk to their Uniserve director who's going to be able to kind of navigate them through, um, you know, what it is exactly you have to say to your HR director, you know, how much do you disclose about your health conditions and what other information your school might need um, to kind of help you with some precautions and some accommodations. Gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. Um, at least that, um, again, if someone listens that Uniserve director, because I didn't even know, I don't think I'd ever heard of Uniserve director. <laughs> I didn't every, know that was, every district has one. <laughs> didn't know that was a position there. Heard a building rep. I've heard of the, you know, the head of our local union. I, no, yep, I didn't. Yep. Okay. I'm curious, did the union try to do anything or have a position on sports? So I could. Really, we really didn't. I mean, you know, some of our members are coaches and I understand that puts you in a precarious situation because sports are not happening right now. Um, but we didn't really take a position on what sports should look like, when we should return to sports. That's kind of out of our purview. We're not really um, in charge of, of sports at all. Okay. So you guys, the union didn't think it's, that's funny, man, that the, you don't think, and I'm not saying this in like an accusatory way or anything, but like, Hey, we, we, we do have a part in mental health, mm -hmm. but we don't really have a part in sports, even though sports you would think i think more kids probably partake in the sports than partake in the mental health aspect more teachers coach who are union members as right. the coaches in those positions and it's funny to me or it's odd i'm curious actually that it didn't fall under the uh any union guidelines or union discussions no not really not at all i mean it was kind of like one of those things you know we know this is going to affect all of these things kind of like a domino you know you know it's going to be affected just because, but it, it's not in our purview to think about or make any rulings or, or guidelines around what, what sports should be in the schools. So we don't even think about that. Wow. Yeah, because now I'm thinking back to the emails and stuff, and I, I coach basketball in the middle school, and there was there was no extra question about how do you feel about sports? Do you feel no. sports should go at all? And that's, that's interesting that the union doesn't get involved with it. So then – there's no influence with DIAA and the interscholastic at all. We don't, we know. Mm -mm. That's amazing. I had, I would have thought for sure the union played a part in that. Wow. Huh. Moving on then. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there something, and it's funny cause I, I'm so ignorant to so much that I a lot of times don't know what I don't know. 
we kind of talked about the, I think the biggest thing I took away is that Uniserve director, if you're worried, do, what was talk about accountability? Something that frustrated me was when the governor came out and said, no student will be adversely affected from the last marking period, right? Mm-hmm. Marking period four of when the pandemic occurred. We saw student engagement drop like crazy because kids figured out real quick. So right. what I do doesn't matter. Right. Hey, I, I don't even have to show up anymore. To then take that mentality, especially after a summer break where you spend the first month fighting that mentality <laughs> anyway and getting kids right. back. What were conversations like about how can we hold people accountable, students, mm-hmm. to do work virtually? Right. And again, a lot of that conversation took place at the district level. So we um, we talked a little bit about, well, what does what does baseline quality remote instruction look like and how can we help? You know what I mean? Because we have a PD department. So what could our PD department do to help educators understand what it looks like to engage students um, virtually on the computer? How can we bring that and provide that to our members? And um, I think that's where we put our focus. So how can we support you going forward? Because your district's going to give you PD. Your district's going to set what they believe um, learning looks like for the students in that district. So how can we as a state kind of support what every district is doing across the state. That's kind of where we put our focus. We understand the struggles that our educators are going to have um, kind of engaging a new group of students in the beginning, you know, because you're not in your classroom doing all those um, get to know you's and all that kind of stuff. So we understand that. So our thought was, well, how do we support you going forward? And that's what we're doing behind the scenes, um, coming up with some PD that we can push out or, push out the state PD, you know, what, what PD is, is DOE offering that can help support our members. And that's where we kind of put our focus understanding because we heard that student um, engagement dropped off, you know, in that last, that last month or so once students kind of figured out, well, why am I doing this? Yeah, there's what's, no it, consequence. what's it mean? You know, but going back into the, a new school year, this is a new school year. It matters because I don't have anything on record that I can say, Oh, you know, Julius is a very good reader and I can prove it because I have all these tests from when we were in the building, you know, so um, it's going to be different. And I think educators are going to do a better job explaining to students why it matters now this year than we kind of could at the end of last year where we're kind of like crisis instruction, you know, kind of Hmm. doing what we did as, as, as a reaction to what was happening where I think going into the fall, we're being more proactive. We know exactly what we need to do to start to make sure the year starts off right. Yeah, I, I, and it might be an oversimplification. I know there's laws that say you have to show up to school, right? Like right. you can't just not come to school. It's truancy issues. I forget mm-hmm. how many days, I want to say it's like 10 or 15, where if you don't have the doctor's note or whatnot, you can have mm-hmm. a knock on the door. You might have to go to court. But again, when laws are written, they're not thinking of COVID. So how do you take that mentality? And a lot of kids just come to school because they feel they have to. And then you do your best to warm them up and to educate them and to make them feel a part of it and hopefully inspire them to actually love learning. Mm -hmm. But if you take away the accountability of get on the bus by 730, be in this class when the bell rings at 755 kind of a thing, can that, is that even transferable to you need to log into Schoology at eight o'clock? It actually is. Yeah. Because I know, um, they're working to modify attendance policies, what it looks like, what counts as attendance. Um, they're working to kind of change what that looks like. So, um, and then what happens if you're not participating, 
they're working to change what that looks like in the remote and hybrid situation for this year. Um, I don't know if that, that language has come out yet, but I know that they're thinking about, um, actually, like you said, what does attendance look like on the screen? So as an educator, I'm required to say, okay, I see everybody's on the zoom today. Um, so I'm taking attendance that way, or I'm taking attendance by looking at the work samples that are given to me right. after our Zoom lesson, things like that. But also, how many hours a day? Um, I'm not sure if that's a local decision or not. Um, what it looks like, how many hours do you need to be on the computer to be counted as present? How many assignments do you have to have to be counted as present? So, right. you know, those things are being worked on behind the scenes. So like you said, it's not physically being in the classroom, but we are working on what it looks like to be attending and also engaging in what's going on on the screen. And that's a DOE thing, huh? The language? That is, yes. And then mm-hmm. that would give the districts the support or like the mm-hmm. minimum because you don't want – how many How many districts are there, 19? We have 19 school districts, um, and then we have you know charter schools and things yeah. like that, um, private schools. So we're thinking about the idea that I think each district is going to create its own attendance policy and go from there. Oh, oh, really? See, I was thinking that would just lead to a cluster <laughs> of issues because then right. you have 19 different people making 19 different decisions, emphasizing and that's 19 normally the way things. a lot of things go. A lot of things that we do in the state are locally controlled. So, wow. you know, things that, um, you know, districts are given the, the discretion to determine for themselves. Wow, man. I mean, much like each district plan, like the state didn't give each district a set plan on what instruction looks like. They gave the districts the freedom to create those plans for themselves. So it's much like that. Yeah, you want, and going back to when um, you were talking about one of the platforms being equality, something that I know I'm concerned about talking to other teachers, they're concerned about is the achievement gap or the um, equality gap that we fear is going to be increased because some kids without broadband access right. or some kids right. don't have that. Like my child, if my child has to be on a zoom at eight o'clock, she's getting up, she's getting dressed. She's going to be there. I'm, I'm just that kind of parent to her. Because you're there to support that. Right. Not but everyone other kids has don't that. have that support. You're absolutely right. So and that's the fear when you start mandating these things is you're almost going to inadvertently or unintentionally penalize some students who can't, who don't have the support. That That's right. You're is right. Typically, the organization. And I know um, the state has been working very hard since the pandemic began, and we started remote to make sure that, especially, I think it's in Sussex County, um, they put most of their focus on Kent and Sussex to kind of. I think they were either working on getting more towers installed, yeah, or um, working to increase the capacity of internet access in those areas where it might have been like an internet desert where you can't get internet. Right. Um, districts I know mm-hmm. are working to get. Um, internet technology to those students, maybe with, um, you know, those little MiFi things. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving students the, the ability to kind of have internet um, that way and, and making sure they have the technology they use. But it, it is, you're right, it's, it is, there's a an equity gap. Um, and we're trying to figure out, well, how can we plug that gap? What can we do, even though, you know, we're going to be remote, how can we help these students who just may not have the support they need at home? So, um you know, that's, a, that's in a lot of the district plans, what to do for those students who can't get on the computer or um, even in some cases, you know, who won't get on the computer just because yeah. of, of whatever situation they might be facing at home. Yeah. And I've seen the behaviors, um, inc- not increased, not, not, not echoed, man. I wish, I wish I had better words. You would think since I actually read books, I would know the <laughs> word that I'm looking for. 
behaviors are increased as far as like defiance. We've heard from so many parents, like he just, I can't make him. But when you have the kid in the classroom, they are pretty compliant. They they Mm -hmm. will do their work. They're respectful. They might not try their best. They still have an attitude or whatever, but they're there and they know I got to go with what I'm told to do, whether it's filling out a worksheet. Right, and that's because, you know, you spend a lot of time recreating that relationship with them. So you know how, you know, to respond to the behaviors that you see in your classroom. Yeah. Um, And you can have different um, incentives to incentivize positive behavior. Right. And that's where my mind goes is to kids like that and to parents who are at their end and they can't literally make their child do the assignments, which goes back to the truancy and defining what attendance looks like. And then the children, families knowing it matters somehow, yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. like I'm actually going to be accountable that there could be repercussions to me not doing anything, but I Absolutely. don't know, I don't know how to make that a fair repercussion. That's what I can't okay. figure out in my head. Like you don't want people arrested. Like, dude, you haven't logged right. into a zoom. Yeah, <laughs> like, go no, you don't. Wasn't that in Michigan where the one, the one girl ended up in jail because she did, she wouldn't get her uh, virtual lessons finished. I hadn't heard that. That's yeah. Oh yeah. That, nice. That's the extreme case. That was the one extreme case. But I mean, with the attendance policy, I think it has to be posted on the website. Um, you know, kind of under, having parents understand this is important and this is why I think goes a long way to kind of setting the foundation for, for engagement, you know, getting them to understand this is what it looks like for now. And this is what we expect you to do for now students. Um, you know, and things might change, you know, who knows? I don't know. We could, we could have a miraculous vaccine appear and, and, and it works and we get back into the classroom. But for now, this is where we are. This is where we need you to meet us and we're going to meet you where we are. So, yeah. And for teachers, it's interesting to me, and I hadn't thought about this with the state union. I thought it way more, I, I didn't think it as supportive, <laughs> not in like a bad way. But when you were talking about the PD coming out there, that's getting kind of pushed down to on the local level, like the superintendents and whatever those resources are, what are those resources for PD, like online classes or like Zooms like this, where you actually get experience on from a professional remote teacher kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, there are, there are folks who are, um, you know, learned and credentialed in remote learning. You know, hmm. I don't know their names off the top of my head, but <laughs> there are some districts that are giving um, their educators access to those specialists. You know, this is what you can do with zoom. This is what you can do with this and all these other programs that have been created and devised for, you know, electronic learning, they're getting access to that. Um, and what it looks like to use it in your classroom. How can you use breakout rooms, um, for collaborative groups and how can you use breakout rooms for, um, partner work and things like that, 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 that educators are being instructed on to make their lessons more engaging. Okay. So then finding the resources for that. And then you guys are, is there a legislative something during the pandemic that you guys are, you guys, I keep saying that, that's so informal, that the union is trying to influence that I wouldn't know about? Not right now. No, we hadn't really thought about, um, we've had conversations with legislators asking us what we needed, what our members needed right now. Um, so I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, what they're thinking about. Um, but I don't know that we have any legislation pending or being written to kind of focus specifically on COVID where, like I said, a lot of our energy, most of our energy has just been used to support our educators um, through the crisis, answering their questions, um, helping their local presidents to answer their questions, 
having Uniserves available to answer the questions. And then, um, again, just trying to do what we can to make sure the educator feels valued and supported during this stressful time. Yeah, it's it's funny. It, it is stressful, but at the same time to me, and we were kind of talking about this, there's no state test, which for us was 50%, at least in my position, was 50% of my rating. And then right. you gave another assessment, which was 50% of your rating. And that a lot, I feel like a lot of that assessment, you got to hit a number pressure is gone. So you should, I would think mentally, you would feel more free. Like you understand I'm not going to get in trouble <laughs> for being a bad remote teacher because my scores drop. Right. And like that to me would almost be empowering. And it's, do you really think people worry about the teachers worry about like feeling like valued or feeling good about that? Huh? I really do. I really do. I think that, you know, huh. when, when, the, when the pandemic first hit and, you know, everyone was like, oh my gosh, teachers are heroes are doing such a great job. And then you go from that to like a complete opposite of get back in the classroom, you lazy lumps. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so teachers aren't feeling as valued for what they do. And I think that's important for them to understand what you do is continually going to be important for the future of, of Delaware and, and America as a whole. And I think, for them to feel supported and, and get quality feedback from their administrators, you know, so I might pop in and take a look at what you're doing on your zoom and say, Hey, um, you know, give you a little bit of, of constructive criticism about how can you be a better remote instructor? Um, and I think that's important. So our educators need to know that their administrators are being trained on what quality remote instruction looks like or what quality hybrid instruction looks like so they can give them the best feedback. Um, they can on their evaluations. I know we're not taking this. We didn't take the smarter balance tests. You know what I mean? And I know that's not really our focus going forward, but there are other ways of helping an educator to grow and to develop and to feel valued and supported that are, we're asking our administrators to do, you know, what are the little things you can do to, to say, Hey, I see you, you're doing a great job. You know, I, I think that's all, that's all anyone's asking for. I know this is hard. You're doing the best you can. Thank you for that. Yeah. As well, I, you know, most, a lot of the teachers that I know, they're, they're pleasers, right? They want to, they want to do well. And that's, that's funny. Cause I'm, I don't know. I, I guess that's not naturally, that's not innate in me. So I try to have empathy and understanding towards like, why, why is that such a big deal to you? But for yeah. so many teachers, it's a huge, that mental aspect of the appreciation is like a huge part of. Pleasers and overachievers is right. where we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, and it, sometimes you're looking at your teacher next door. I'm like, why are you such an overachiever? You're looking at that classroom going, wow, I yeah. wish I could be more like you. But, you know, that's where we are. And, it, you know, just, just a kind word goes a lot to helping an educator. I do feel valued. I do feel supported. You yeah, know? because that, that's, that's a good point because they are professionals and they want to do whatever doing good is. They want to do good or great. And they want to do better. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, and yeah. for, for a while there, it was, you're doing good if this many kids hit this percentage or this score on a test was a large mm -hmm. part of you being good. Right. And with that being gone away, I would see it as liberating, but I could also see it as very fearful now because people are like, oh my God, how am I going to be valued? What, what right. will and my I mean, you know, value be? I feel valued not because of my scores. I feel valued because my students feel safe in my classroom. They feel welcome in my classroom. They feel loved in my classroom. And because of those things, they blossom and grow in my classroom. Right. And that's how I value myself as an educator. You know, test aside, if I'm doing those things and they walk out at the end of fourth grade, you know, thank you for what you did for me, Miss Ingram. Then that, that makes me feel better than any score, yeah. you know, that they could ever, ever get on Smarter Balance.
That's so humanistic. That's so qualitative. That's, That's a great so mentality. elementary school, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Something um, I'd wanted to ask about, because speaking with just different people running for governor, education came up quite a bit and the spending in the state, the amount of money that gets put in and then the test results, which typically are those standardized ones, which have been subpar comparatively speaking. I think someone had told me Delaware spends like it's a top five in the country per capita on a kid, but like the bottom 10 in test results. And they, the people running didn't understand why they would try. They were chalking it up to bloated administrative costs and not the money not getting to the classroom. You had said you had a class size of 25. I've been in classes almost at 40 in a middle school and you can't have one teacher and give any sort of feedback in a classroom with that many kids. So I'm curious about the union, how much the union deals with the budgeting and money allocation and positions and roles in schools, like even teacher units. We, we think about how Delaware and the unit count system works. You know what I mean? And and we've been thinking about, um, what could we do? How could we revise? What could be done differently? What could we do? What could we do better? Um, as far as the unit count system goes, it's something we talk about. I am not the person to talk about, um, (laughs) the answers to this, but there are some people who spend a good chunk of time thinking about, you know, Delaware's unit count system and the funding per pupil and the results that we get, um, per pupil. So it is a conversation that we have quite often, you know, and we think, and we talk to legislators, well, what could be done differently? Um, how could we get different results? But I am not the person that you want to talk to about that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I always, I always get curious. Like when you said six weeks, I always go, why not five? Why not four? Right. Why not seven? Right. Like, cause numbers, you have to have a number. And I always get very curious as to how that number came to be. So whatever mm-hmm. the cost is per pupil that the state funds, and I know like a third of it comes from local side, but if they're like, yeah, 10 grand, or we decided 18 kids are enough for one teacher. And you're like, well, how, what was like, was the research that you're using from like 1980s? And we've just kept right. rolling that over. And now we're learning with whatever mental health aspects, or even um, what you were talking about with equity, if you have African higher amount of African-American students, they may need smaller groups or maybe they would need a focus of minority teachers to teach them because they're more receptive. They, 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 they learn better in that environment. Yeah. yeah, They're so you're bringing up so many good questions. Like how do you address all the needs of all the students? That's a great question. And it's probably above both of our pay grades. That's so true. I just like, (laughs) I like to think about things that I have no control over and can never solve. It keeps you up at night. Those kinds of crazy questions. It doesn't really keep me up at night, but it occupies my mind. You're lucky because it keeps me up at night. (laughs) That's that's why you're a union president. And that's why I didn't even know I had a UNISERV director, right? That's, <laughs> that's the difference between us. Um, no, so I was reading a book, or I guess I still am reading a book called Dope Sick, and it was about the opioid epidemic. And I was amazed that the, the reason I thought of it is because I was amazed that the pharmaceutical company was able to tout out a research from like 1980 saying the addictive properties of this drug were less than 1%. And it was one kind of study that was proven false, but because it was research, they were able to continually reference it and they didn't have liability for lying on their product. That's interesting. Yeah, right? So like, I had never thought about that. But then again, when I go to this funding per pupil, you really wonder how they made that number. What was the research? How often do they reassess that? Especially in Delaware, where you have two really good state schools. University of Delaware has a heck of an education program. I think Delaware State is more aviation, although I know they have 
education no, programs. No, I graduated from Dell State. Oh, yeah, and education mm-hmm. programs. education. Okay, mm-hmm. right. So, like, you would think they would have these resources available to analyze and research effective practices and distribution of money, which is why I was thinking about that. I just really do wonder how often it gets um, reviewed. Sorry, now I'm just thinking out loud about that. No, that's a great question, and I wish I had the answer for that, but I don't. But, you know, I'm going to write that down and figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Now I want to know. Yeah. Right. Um, Man, is there something else that I can talk to a union president about that I don't know? It's so weird. I Originally, I just wanted to get into the COVID thing and what teachers could do if they were unsafe. And it's like, it just seems like a local issue. And it seems like it's going to be what it is as far as showing up and enforcing. And it's not, um, there's just really nothing that can be done about it. Like, it's just going to be whatever it is and it becomes, that's what it'll be. There's mm-hmm. no planning because it's a virus. We don't have control right. over it. Yeah. Um, and there's been no, you know, like legislative ruling over what that looks like or whatever. So until the time that that might happen, you know, we can, like you said, it, it's just it kind of, it's going to be what it's going to be for right yeah. now, you know. And it's all about the local. So it's not really a state thing so much at this point, because it's definitely each district is empowered to give their own local plan. So any issues you have, you want to go up your local chain, address it mm-hmm. through your local school district's plan. And, right. um that's so tough, man. Cause you don't even have like that contract grieving to like fall back on. Right. Like I can, I mean, some, this. some of the conditions might fall under a grievance if it's a violation of the contract, but that would require, um, that specific contract. you know, so what might be a violation in one district may not be in another just because of the way the contract is. So mm-hmm. I can't really speak to that, but I mean, there are, you know, channels for folks to have their grievances addressed through the, through the, um, the grievance process as, as written in your contract. Absolutely. And would part of if a district has their um, reopening plan and then teachers feel something's not being met, mm-hmm. is that a grievable thing? Is that plan like reopening <clears throat> plan basically? A it, it might come contract? to a grievable thing, but I would hope that, you know, if the teachers are, are, are concerned about something in the plan that they take that to their local education association president um, who then is going to work with the district to try to figure that out, you know, God. so not to sit in silence, you know, not to stew about it, but let your local president know these are, these are my concerns um, based on a local plan, you know, yeah. this protocol. and then to let the president work that out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How, how's the relationship been? What have you been hearing about the local residents working with districts? You know, for the most part, um, aside from one or two districts where they had like a rough start or, you know, kind of a rocky road trying to, to, to hammer it out and to work together. I've, I've been hearing just a lot of positives. Um, local presidents have been involved and at the table, um, have been able to bring members to the table to discuss and to really get into the details of the plan. So I've, I've heard a lot of positives about just the working relationship the districts have created to allow educators to put in their two cents about the plan and to help, you know, from the ground up to create these district plans. So I've heard a lot of good things. I don't know um, about the final product and how each district feels about the final product because I personally have not seen any of them. Um, <laughs> I'm still waiting for the districts to finalize, you know, put the last drying ink on those so we can kind of capture those and, and take a look through all of them. Okay. I mean, things are still being changed. Like as we speak, they're still modifying and changing things. So I'm still waiting for the final plans to be put out so I can take a look at them. Is there a particular 
something you're really interested to see. For me, it would be busing. I don't want, I, I can't wrap my head around busing. Cape already has this like staggered start with elementary and middle schools for double mm-hmm. bus runs. And it's a tight window, man. It's a super like kids get dropped off. Those buses got to roll and they got to get the to next, their next right. stops for the elementary kids. I can't wrap my head around the poor transportation directors <laughs> dealing with buses. That's the thing I'm most interested to see how it works out. Is there something for you where you, when you go through these plans, you want to be like, huh, I wonder how the district addressed this. I would like to see how they're addressing busing. I would love to see that. I also want to see nutritional services, what that looks like. Um, I also want to see what each school nurse is required to do and um, how that's playing out. You know, if someone were to um, present with COVID like symptoms, what happens then? And, you know, that's what I want to know. That's, that's that's a good one nursings and and what happens if so yeah i'll be looking at those three things the buses the nutritional services and the nurses yeah man that's so true because uh, when we were talking about counselors that's that's school nurses another employee that's real easy to be overwhelmed with the enormity of students that depend on this sole person yes yeah. a teacher can get overwhelmed in a class of 30 school nurse can get overwhelmed again for us would be 700 kids <laughs> right i mean with the nurse you know the regular duties of um you know giving medicine during the day yeah. or, or checking maybe health um, screenings yeah right and helping students who might have diabetes and need insulin or you know throughout the day those kinds of things plus uh, if someone has a fever or or is you know sick has a stomach ache or plus yeah. covid yeah it's going to be crazy yeah. so i'm interested in in those plans is there yeah. is there talk about like if you go to the nurse, you say, oh, my tummy hurts and mm-hmm. you're, you have a 99 degree fever. Again, it's the number, right? Like I, I don't know why I'm obsessed with the number, but <laughs> you, you can, you can stay in school with a low grade 99.0 fever. But if you, if your temperature is 99.5 mandatory, go home, isolate mm-hmm. kind of a thing, or you have to go get tested. Is there talk in language like that? in some of the plants have you heard or am I just I, and, nuts? and no not in the plants but it, thinking about like what CDC put out and then what the state kind of put out is you know if someone presents with symptoms they have to be isolated in the building um, which I would I guess assume in the nurse's office until someone could come get them and then they can't come back um, I guess until they've seen a doctor or have a note or something I'm not sure of huh. exactly what it looks like and like I said to you that's why I'm interested in looking at the plants for the nurses but I know if someone presents with a fever they have to be isolated Gotcha. Or presents with symptoms, they need to be isolated. Right, and what any of those symptoms could be. Yeah, man, and lunch is another great thing. Um, yeah, um, I, breakfast and lunch. Yeah, you know, we gave breakfast at our school where I worked, and you know, most most um, most schools do some kind of like you know grab and go. What does that look like now? And then lunches. Are we eating lunch in the classroom in the hybrid situation, or are we going to the cafeteria? Um, yeah. And how do you, you know, even stagger that? So you're not, yeah. I mean, for us, it was 200 kids basically in a cafeteria for 40 minutes rotating. And that's how mm-hmm. we got the three grades through. Right. Um, and if you have to like go down class by class and try to stagger that, um, you even wonder too, what's the effect of the quality of the food that they're able to consume if you're trying to make it so quick and you don't want kids like lingering about, right. which they're going to want to do because that's their break, right? That That's yeah, when yeah, they that's get to their break time. You're right be a goober oh yeah and okay so local and i'm just trying to always keep myself focused because i get scatterbrained too so issues with any sort of plan you want to just stay local because local really does have the authority there's not a ton that the state is mandating 
um, any issues, make sure you go local, follow the plan, Uniserve director. And is there something else that I don't know? That I, I don't think there's there's something uh, we didn't overlook anything major, you know. Yeah, I think it's important for at least for the people that I'm working with and I've spoken to is the understanding of like everyone knows the situation is weird, and I can't imagine someone getting fired for trying. Right. And I think that's a pretty big worry. Some people are like, I I don't want to mess up and get fired, and it's like I I just can't see that happening because it's such a unique situation. Um, and it's interesting that it is really is like that much local control, which I think would be comforting as well. Cause you have relationships with these people at local you levels. Do. You so do. You do. Yeah. Connected. Oh, well, Stephanie, thank you so much for, um, giving your time this morning. I really appreciate you uh, coming on just to talk about the non-specifics of the world <laughs> that we live in, um, without being able to give like a straight up, Hey, yeah, it's going to be all right. Hey, this is the right way to do it. It's, um, it's just an opportunity, at least I'm looking at it to be really creative and um, stretch yourself, you know, stretch mm-hmm. yourself in a good way and challenge yourself in a good way. Right. But yeah. thank you for working. Thank you for doing what you do for the union. Um, Cause someone's got to be in charge. I'm glad, oh, it's, not, I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me. I had a good time. This was fun. And I'm glad I could help, um, help stretch your learning about some things. <laughs> got you. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your morning. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Stay safe. Thanks to Stephanie for coming on the Getting to Know You pod and giving some DSEA, and that definitely does stand for Delaware State Education Association, perspective on the opening of schools. I would really encourage any parents, guardians, or caretakers to uh, be patient with schools as these are organizations (laughs) and systems that are trying to figure out what is the quote-unquote right choice to make for kids and communities. Just work with the teachers. They really do have your child's best interest at their heart. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy merch that's going to be worth checking out. If you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and or the word of the pod is sanitizing. Sanitizing is the word of the pod. Please post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to our Patreon to support the Getting to Know You pod for as little as $2 a month. Is that even, that's cheaper than a cup of coffee, I believe, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We also have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. Just message us. Later.